and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase, and along with Liz Gumbiner, we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, I'm going to be talking with Kate Everly Walker about mentoring women in the workplace and her brand new book, The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. And as always, we will close out our show with our cool picks of the week, and we'll be right back with Kate after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Google. We're always happy to find digital parenting resources that help make our job a little easier, which is why we're excited to tell you about families.google. It's a one-stop shop for all things digital parenting with answers to digital questions like, how can I keep my kids safe on the internet? And what parental controls should I be using? Plus a whole lot more. If you've got questions, they've got the answers. From understanding how to set digital parenting rules to learning about the popular apps and games that kids are using, plus articles and videos on cyberbullying, online learning, screen life balance, you get the idea. Families.google offers the information that parents need all in one handy place. Explore the new families.google, a one-stop shop resource for families on all things tech to help provide digital parenting support. That's families.google. All right, let me tell you a little bit more about Kate, who both Liz and I know personally, which is really fun, and I know Kate professionally, but we also are big fans of her brother, Chris. So we just had to say that. That's how it's like sort of one big, fun, personal, professional family. So we're so, I am so excited to have Kate here. Even though Liz isn't here, I still say we, because Liz and I, we feel like we're just one brain. But anyway, Kate is the author of this brand new book, The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at work. By background, she graduated from Georgetown University, got her MBA at Harvard Business School, and then started her career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. From there, she moved into education, working as a vice president at Kaplan and eventually becoming the CEO at the Princeton Review, which is how I know Kate. And now she is the CEO of Presence Learning, which is the leading telehealth platform and marketplace for pre-K through 12 special education and mental health services, employing more than 1,500 women, some of whom I know and love, and she juggles this all with her job as a working mom raising two tween girls, which is why she is such a great person to talk to us today about what's happening with women in the workplace and the essential role of mentoring. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. Congratulations on the book. I mean, it's just out. How has it been putting out something that I'm sure was a labor of love into the world? It's so cool. It's so cool. You know, when people post reviews, post things online, and they say, I saw myself in these stories. This is exactly what it's like. You know, you write this thing and it's your baby and you work on it for years, Mm -hmm. you know, to get to the point where you actually get to hear what people think about it is very cool. Well, I want to say, first of all, that it is a fun read. This is not the like sort of classic boring men yammering on about business book, which sadly many of us know. (laughs) The chapters include stuff like, don't ask what does your husband do and don't sit in her chair and don't make her ask twice. And, you know, it's not just a book for bosses, but it's really for anyone working for someone else who wants some insight into how businesses work. And I think that's really important to clarify because, yes, I know that it's aimed at a specific audience and they're the people we want to reach with this, but it really has a much broader reach. But I guess we kind of have to start, if we're going to talk about the good boss, we kind of have to talk about bad bosses, not naming names 
questions, but is there, do you have like a bad boss story that you could share? I think everyone listening could probably right now think of one where they're like, ugh. So curious if you have one that you could share. You know, my mind actually immediately jumps to someone who was actually not the worst boss I ever had. He was an okay boss, but I think he could have been a good boss if he read a book like this because he got some things right. He was relatable. We were friends. We, we still are friends. And I always felt like he respected me. But here's where he fell down. He wouldn't go to bat for me. Mm. He like just wasn't my advocate. You know, like he, he would acknowledge uncomfortable situations and things people said, but he wouldn't say anything to change them. You remember one time talking to him about wanting a raise, feeling like it was time for a raise. And he'd say, you know, he didn't have the power. And I just don't believe he ever even asked or tried. Mm -hmm. You know, he was kind of a wimp about mm -hmm. it. And I've seen a lot of managers do this thing where they bond with their teams in a, yeah, it sucks kind of a way mm. instead of taking it upon themselves to make it better, especially in these middle manager levels. And, you know, you don't have to be the CEO to do something for the people who work for you. And, you know, as a manager, you have more power than your direct reports and you should take responsibility and use it to help them. And, and that is something that he never did that I still think about, you know, what if he stepped it up a little bit? Well, I like that you're sort of pointing out the nuance, right, of what it is in between sort of being that bad boss and being a good boss, because it's like there is like the mediocre, right, and is mediocre enough. And it sounds like it's not. And I, you know, I would agree. I'm sure listeners would agree, too. And I appreciate that you pointed out, like, you know, there were some things that he did well. And I think we can all relate to that because sometimes when we hear bad boss, we think like the movie, you know, <laughs> which is like terrible people doing terrible things. You know, there are a lot of great people who are well-intentioned who also do you find it's like people just don't know how to manage other people. Like there is an art and a science to being a manager, being a leader. Is that your experience? Have you seen that like people want to be good bosses, but they just don't know how to? Exactly. It's the hardest thing. It's hard to teach. And I really do believe most people have good intentions. You know, we've got a lot of decent people out there and they mean well and they want to do the right thing. But most people don't actually tell them what to do, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. And part of it is because it's nuanced. I mean, managing is, very, it's very human and it's about, you know, the specifics of you and the person who's working for you. And it's hard to break it down into practical advice. It was actually super interesting to me when I was writing this book, I really wanted to write it for that well-intentioned, you know, male manager, middle manager, someone who I thought like wanted to do the right thing and just wanted somebody to tell them mm -hmm. what it was. Mm -hmm. And so I had a few guys, my brother was one of them who, you know, I'd run sections by and I'd say like, what do you think? Like, would this work for you? And I think a lot of men really just literally want you to tell them mm -hmm. what they should do. And, you know, these guys just kept pushing me. They're like, but I don't know, but what do you mean? Like, what would I say? What would I do? And and so it it came out finally in like what is, I think, a really, really like literal, explicit, practical book in a lot of sections mm -hmm. because these guys really pushed me to be like, but, you know, but you have to make it, you, you have to just tell me what I could say, what I should say, what would I do in that specific situation? Yeah. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> okay. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. Just yeah. And, you know, me. I think the greatest lesson that my husband has ever given me was we, we only were married almost 15 years now when we were like a couple years into our marriage, you know, we had some fight because in my mind, there was like a list of, you know, 
stuff around the house that, you know, he, he should do, he was supposed to do and he hadn't done it. And I was getting, you know, huffier and huffier and annoyed with him and, you know, finally broke out into a fight and I'm like, but you didn't do this and you didn't do this. And he's like, I didn't know that you wanted me to do those things. And I was like, well, you should just know that you want to do these things. <laughs> yes. I don't want to be the bossy wife. And, you know, the, the whole thing ended with him being like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I want you to tell me what to do. So it's always so kind of ringing in the back of my head now. Well, it's interesting because that's like sort of the classic relationship, you know, argument, right? Like the, the discord that occurs in many relationships is that like, I don't want to have to tell you what to do. I want you to just know. And I just want you to tell me what to do. And it doesn't mean I'm bad because I don't know. <laughs> so it's interesting. And I wonder, you know, as we get into this, if those sort of relationship things, because we're all humans, right, apply to managerial things, right, that you're looking at with employees and how you relate to people. So we'll talk a little more about that in a bit. But I do want to focus a little bit on women in the workplace because, you know, look, obvious statement, things are very different now for women than they were like even a year ago. And I'm curious to know what you're seeing in your industry in terms of women in the workplace. If you've read anything, which I know you are a consummate reader, you read so much. I remember when we were working together, you would share articles with me. Like You have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And we've seen these articles. They're disheartening. The impact of the pandemic, the childcare crisis, you know, it's staggering. So tell me what you're seeing right now. You employ over 1,500 women, so you certainly know what's going on. Yeah. We see the big statistics. Millions of women have left the workforce this year because they're not supported in current working structures. And, you know, many, many, many more haven't fully left the workforce, but they've gone from full-time to part-time. They've taken a short-term leave. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that I'm seeing women try to solve for what they need and what they can do. In, in my company, it's really played out. I mean, we so we have clinicians, we have speech therapists, occupational therapists, mental health therapists. I mean, th these are the women who are working for us. And a year ago, pre-pandemic, we had surveyed, uh, you know, we do pulse surveys to, you know, make sure we know who's working for us, who's in our community. And a year ago, 80% of the women who were working for us were working moms with school-aged kids. We just did another pulse survey and it was down to about 65%. Wow. So, you know, we're seeing it that the working moms, they can't, they can't work to the level that, you know, I think they want to work or would like to be working because there's too much pressure. And yeah, I think that none of this is new. It, it just got pushed over the line. I mean, even before COVID, the lives of many working women were pressure cookers kind of waiting to boil over. I mean, we all have to manage those competing requirements of work and home. And there's not a lot of leeway on either side. I mean, I, I feel it too. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you figure out your kind of very tenuous balance. And I think, you know, a lot of women had done that going into this past year. They'd found the tenuous balance, but just got, it just got kind of knocked off its rocker this year. I mean, the, you know, there's a point where you just really can't do it all. So something that I recognized in myself and in the way that I interact with the women who work for me is, you know, I used to think that it was really important to convince women to stay, convince them, you know, don't give up, mm -hmm, don't leave mm -hmm. the workforce. Uh, and I had some really, really important revealing conversations with women in my company who did leave, whether, you know, whether permanently or temporarily, where they said, you know, I feel shame, I feel guilty, I feel like I should be able to figure this out. Like, I, you know, I've tried, I've tried to quit 
five times and somebody keeps talking me out of it, but it's still just too hard. And I realized like, okay, we can't make it harder for women, even harder for them to do what they know, what they figure out for themselves is really the right thing. Mm -hmm. So I've started pushing other CEOs, other leaders that I talk to. I'm like, what we have to do is, you know, be really thoughtful about how we bring it, we bring them back when Uh, they're ready and make it easier to come back Mm -hmm. because it's okay. You know, I I don't want women, I mean, you feel terribly that you can't, you know, you feel like I'm not doing this well, I'm not doing that well. I don't want women apologizing for having to take a break, you know. I love that idea. So it's really about supporting their decision and right honoring the fact that they know what's best for themselves and their family at this time, whether it was Mm -hmm. sort of forced by, you know, the environment that we're in right now, or even like, as you mentioned, this is not new, what was happening before. But I love that idea of making it easier because we've all, we've talked about this on the show is that that has been the challenge, right? When you're out of the workforce, even after a year, things change so rapidly. But imagine women who are, you know, gone for a few years, even longer to be able to come back and balance that journey, right? That transition back, you know, from a personal side, right? Of dealing with the kids at home and, and whatever else it is, but then also reorienting yourself to work life. There are ways that mm-hmm. managers and leaders and CEOs can make that transition better. And perhaps it's just that they hadn't thought about it. You know, I don't know, right? Like giving people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, not, it's just yeah. not in their purview. Yeah. One of the interesting silver linings this year has actually been in the return from maternity leave. Women who have, you know, had a baby and come back to work after during this past year. So, you know, most of them had shifted from working in an office to working remotely. So coming back Mm -hmm. to work on that first day post leave, they were still able to be at home and they were still, you know, able to be nursing, not pumping and some of those things that become so stressful in those first weeks back. So that's been kind of interesting and enlightening that, you know, a lot of returning mothers have said it's been an easier, you know, it's more of an easing into it, I guess, Mm -hmm. is the way to say it. And that that's been really helpful in, you know, feeling good about coming back to work after having a baby. And I hear that and I'm like, okay, there's something for companies to learn from that, you know, to, to recognize that, some things, and I think remote working is is one of them, work from home. You know, we've all gotten a chance to see what that looks like and see where it can really be better. Mm. Yeah, it can absolutely be better. And, you know, I, I understand that traditionally, right, that wasn't a thing, right? It's like, you're home, I can't watch you, I don't know what you're doing. But that's also a part of, right, being a good manager, being a good CEO is hiring people who know their job and letting them do what they're supposed to be doing. I feel like it all goes together, right? Like, I don't, I, I just get the sense that it's like an old school idea that people who are working from home aren't actually working. And and I and this is front and center for me because I was in a meeting yesterday and someone actually, a woman, in fact, had the audacity to tell me that I was just home and, you know, I'm a freelancer and, you know, I have this cool mom picks thing and I don't really need summer camp for my children uh. <laughs> because I'm not really working is what she actually said to me. <laughs> Oh my God. I know. I nearly fell off my chair. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty busy not working, right? Yeah, I know. I know. It was a fascinating conversation. 
position. And she clarified, because I've had some change in my work life where a position that I had that I was going into an office is no longer there. But that's old school thinking, right? This idea that if you're not going into an office, you're not working and then therefore you don't need childcare. Have you encountered that? Or is this is this still present? I mean, I was surprised, to be honest, to hear it from a woman. But is is that mindset still out there? Like, And, and do you see that changing? Like, do you see other, like maybe that change or even other encouraging changes, more flexibility, you know, situations where childcare is easier for women? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. One thing that I'm feeling optimistic is, you know, something good to come out of this crazy last year is that there's, you know, there's no way now that, that people aren't more aware of the challenges or the realities of working from home with children present who need your care. I mean, we've all seen each other's homes and, you know, kids on screen running in, interrupting. I read a stat the other day that in an average week, parents are interrupted 25 times by their kids running in on Zoom meetings wow. um, during, yeah. during this past <laughs> year. So, you know, there's there's no way that colleagues, managers, whoever aren't seeing right, that and, right. and recognizing, okay, working from home, you can't just, you know, have your child sitting quietly next to you for, for eight hours while you're focusing on your work and your meetings. So I think that, you know, there is a lot more empathy, I mm-hmm, hope, and, mm-hmm. you know, if nothing else, just acknowledgement that people have a lot going on outside of work that, you know, life intrudes upon the workday, the workday intrudes upon life and home. And there's more blending there and more acknowledgement that you have to make time for both. But we'll see most surveys that are being published right now asking employees, what do you think? Do you want to keep working from home? You know, what's your hope for next year and the year after? And, you know, the overwhelming majority of people who've had remote work experience want to keep working working from home at least part of the week. You know, it kind of ranges. Mm -hmm. Some people like the idea of going in one to two days a week, but there's this overwhelming preference for it now. So I think, you know, if companies want to hire and retain the best people, you've got to open up to it and you've got to then recognize that, you know, yeah, work can get done and it does get done when people are home, but it might not be, you know, on exactly the same schedule. Yeah, I agree with you. You really can't deny the increase in awareness, right? Like, and the hope is, of course, that people have empathy, that from the awareness comes empathy, but certainly being aware of what parents and especially women have experienced for a very long time. You know, like, you know, just backing up a few minutes ago, you said this is not new, right? I feel like it's under a microscope now. It's exacerbated now, but these are not new issues. And really, you know, let's jump into your book because I feel like what I get from you and I have gotten from you and talking to you in the past is that there are things that managers, CEOs can do, right? It's not just like, these are things that are just, this is how it is, Mm -hmm. right? Or like, we can commiserate with you. Yeah, it stinks, doesn't it? Right? Like, okay, but what can we do? Like, there are ways that you can mentor, set up policies, treat your team in a way that allows them to be more productive, to be happier, and to actually do their job better. So let's talk first about this idea that while most businesses are set up for men and women have to learn how to play the game... Like you believe that women can change the game. And you spoke about this in the video um, with your daughters, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think about playing the game and being really good at it. But 
It's like, wait, why are we spending our energy learning how to play the game? Why don't we spend our energy in changing the game? How do we do that? Yeah, I think it takes managers joining in and doing their part because this game and the disadvantages of women, it's a lot of little things that add up to an incredible amount of time and energy spent. And you know, one thing that I talk about in the book that I still spend an excessive amount of time on is writing emails and trying to, you know, really make sure I've set it in the right tone and chosen exactly the right mm-hmm. words. And I write it and then I yes. reread it and then, then I edit it and I take this word out and move it. I mean, so much time, you know, arguably way too much time spent in writing emails. But why do I do it? Because I've learned in my career that if I don't, I, I'm much less mm-hmm. likely to get the result that I want. Mm-hmm. And something that was, you know, sort of an unintentional uh, sample test that I saw in writing my book that confirmed that this is still out there and still a challenge for women is so in the book, I interview a lot of CEOs, a lot of leaders, and, you know, their thoughts and ideas and quotes are, in, are throughout the book. So when I was submitting the final version, my publisher needed me to go back and get, you know, signed releases that, you know, yes, you interviewed me and and you can use my words in the book. So when I did that, I sent that ask along with a copy of the section where the person was featured and every single man just responded within like two seconds, you know, sure, no problem. Signed it. Looks great. Let me know when the book comes out. So excited. Yeah. Like super quick. Mm -hmm, Every mm -hmm. single woman asked for changes to what I'd written. Can you change this word? Can you move it? You know what? Maybe you could take that out and say this instead. I mean, rounds of edit, at least one round of editing, and in some cases, many rounds of editing for every single woman who's quoted in the book. And, you know, that right there just shows it. Women have to spend more time on these things. And that's time not spent on, you know, pure productivity and and doing whatever the work is. So that's what I mean by, you know, what the game is and the game that we need to change. And I think Mm -hmm. it really requires the recipients of the emails or the questions or the requests or, you know, the person asking for the raise. I think that's where the people with that power, the managers have to recognize it, be aware of it and change the way they perceive it. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard the advice just given straight to the women over being on an investor panel a few years ago where an investor said to, you know, it was an audience of female founders and um, an investor said, you know, I always tell women in the time that you spent crafting and editing your pitch email to me, I already got 200 pitches from male founders and picked one of them to fund. So get out of your heads and just click send. And and I thought to myself, I think I actually said it in the panel, I was like, I I disagree. I was like, that's a a nice sentiment, Mm -hmm. but that's Mm -hmm. like male advice given from a man to a man. It doesn't actually work Mm -hmm. for women. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I love that you wrote this because I think so many books on this topic on, you know, being a good boss, being a mentor, even if it's well-intentioned, right? And it's men writing for everyone. I think having your perspective and just the depth of your experience behind that, this just is going to resonate so much with people. I mean, I still can't believe that there's a whole chapter about not calling women sweetie at work. <laughs> and you talk a lot about this. So you, you not only talk about that this is bad, right? This this needs to change, but also you give advice about being aware of what you're 
called at work. Mm -hmm. You know, first name, last name, nickname. So why is that important? I mean, I get the sweetie thing, right? Like, okay, or the hey, you ladies, right, or whatever. But talk more about this idea of being very pointed in terms of how you are referred to at work. So yeah, I went deep on names in this book. I mean, this started out, you know, I didn't even know if it was going to be a chapter. You know, I was like, of course, you know, people should understand that, you know, you shouldn't use terms of endearment at work. But then, you know, I start digging in and see that, you know, 75% of women report having been called by a term of endearment at work. Um, so it's, it, that's a real thing. And then I just got deeper and deeper into all of these other elements of naming and what people call you. And the use of last names was one of the most interesting areas for me. Hmm. Um, you know, men mm-hmm. do this a lot. They address each other by last name and in writing and articles, men are often referred to by last name and it, it conveys respect or importance in a lot of cases. And there, I mean, there's some crazy numbers out there. So men are 50% more likely than women to be called by their last name at work. Scientists who are identified by only their last name were considered 14% more worthy of receiving an award than those who weren't in a test. Um, political wow. pundits, you know, TV, radio shows, they are they're 126% more likely to refer to men by their last names than, than female politicians. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's conveying disrespect when you call a woman by her first name and a man, you know, Dr. Jones, we got a taste of that recently in that December Wall Street Journal op-ed yes. where Joseph Epstein, you know, yeah. calls on Dr. Jill Biden to drop the doctor. I mean, it, it, this is exactly this issue. So yeah. I, yeah. I started giving advice to managers. I'm like, you know, if you do nothing else, embrace the Janet Jackson rule. Like that line from her song, Nasty, my first name ain't baby, it's <laughs> Janet, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. I'm like, just follow that and (laughs) you'll be good. Oh, that's amazing advice. And I wonder if she ever thought that a line in that song would be used to give advice Male to managers, uh, <laughs> to upper level managers. <laughs> I love that. I mean, you know, listen, it makes sense. And, you know, as someone with a therapy background, names are so important. They are tied to your identity um, and who you are as a person. So I see it in that light and I can absolutely see it. And I can imagine that there may be some people out there that are just like, really? Like, is it that important? And I'm like, yeah, because that's patriarchy. That's like institutionalized. That's been given to us over years and years and years. And that's why we don't think it's a problem, right? Like when we're just like, oh, it's okay. But you taking a step back and really examining it, it's actually not okay. And it's those nuances that you you really cover so thoroughly in this book. You know, I want to end by talking about mentoring because we've talked a lot about this on Spawn and that the lack of mentorship, particularly particularly when it comes to women of color, right? Not seeing yourself represented in a higher position. Like there is data that says it holds women back. It holds women of color back. So how do we tackle this? This is a huge issue. The the book is a great start in terms of helping people understand the need for this, how to do this. But like, what are your thoughts on middle managers, folks out there that can really make a difference? Maybe they don't think they can. What does this look like? How do we do better? this? I think there's two sides to it. One, which is more the responsibility, I think, of leaders at the highest level of a company to be 
always thinking about this is is representation. I mean, representation, of course, very much matters. And you have to make sure that you don't have a majority of race or gender or any other attribute. Because when you do that, it sends a message to everyone else in your company that, you know, that's the model that is going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And there's a reality. I think of myself. I mean, it never honestly occurred to me that I could be a CEO or that, you know, that was the path that I saw for myself until I went to work for a female CEO who I related to a lot. I mean, we had a lot in common and I could watch her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and think like, okay, I could do that too. I can learn to do that. And, you know, that's a reality is that it's, it's a lot harder. It requires a lot more imagination, I think, to see yourself in a Mm -hmm. role that you've never seen anyone like you do before. So, you know, I say that, I mean, that mm-hmm. that's a huge responsibility for boards and leaders to, you know, really think about that. Yeah, and step up. What else? I mean, I know this is something that you feel really strongly about. Is it starting programs? Like, is this something where it needs to be formalized? Like, absolutely making sure that, that women are represented, um, people of color are represented, but like, do we need like formal systems when it comes to mentoring? Let me say this. When it comes to mentoring, then I don't think, and I'm not even sure it's, it would be best to try to set up systems where you're, you know, you're matching mentor and mentee based on common attributes. I think that's actually something that has held women back for sure over time and certainly people of color as well. You know, when when women are successful, we tend to pay it forward to more women. So we mentor women and give them opportunities. I definitely benefited from that personally. As I said, I worked for a female CEO. She deemed me her successor and helped me get there. But, you know, 95% of Fortune 500 CEOs are men. So, and, um, you know, so you've got 5% women, you've got, you know, an even lower percentage of black women. And, you know, there's not enough. There's not enough to try to go mm-hmm. and, you know, systematically match everyone in need of mentoring with a leader who is like them. And, and I think that when you do that, you absolve others of responsibility. You know, like I'm not just mm-hmm. responsible for making sure white women succeed, it's mm-hmm. the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so I think you need to push in in mentoring programs. I think that you need to push people out of their own comfort zone of, you know, hiring and developing people who remind them of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you need to push people to do the opposite and learn how to connect with a lot of different types of people with different strengths and different perspectives. I think for mentoring and those relationships, it's really important to push, you know, if you're a man, it doesn't mean you're not responsible for mentoring women. And if you're white, it doesn't mean you're not responsible for mentoring black employees. That's important there. But again, representation, not just at the leadership levels, but you know, when you look at all of your teams, all of your departments, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I think you have to set your own goals as a company. And, you know, we, we look at our teams and, you know, we say our goal is to have, you know, at least two you know, not, not leave anyone alone. No, no one wants to be, I'm the only gay person. I'm the only black person. I'm the only woman, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, two, two's not enough, but I think you, you, you have to start there. There should be at least two. And then I also say, and no more than two. Now this depends on size of teams, of course, but mm-hmm. you know, it's that idea of like no minority, no majority. Mm-hmm. It's not just about, you know, okay, great. We hired a black woman onto this team. You know, now we've got diversity to have equal voice 
voice and inclusion, Mm -hmm. you need to look at both sides of it. If you've got, you know, a bunch of white people and one black person, you don't have an inclusive structure that's going to elevate voices equally. You have to look as much at what your majority is and not having too much dominance. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, the show Insecure on Mm -hmm. HBO um, with Issa Rae and, you know, the nonprofit that she works for where it's like, you know, she is that token black person. They ask all the diversity questions too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, they're like, we did it. We have the one person. We're good. That show is fantastic. But it makes me think about that. And I, I, I love you really making a call to push people even beyond what they feel like is enough, right? Because is anything enough at this point? Like, we can't just be happy with the status quo or even maybe one step above that. We really need to push the limits because the limits aren't doing very well, right? They're not. The limits right now are not inclusive enough. Yeah, absolutely. So we can find your book. It's out now. It's called The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. And you're at kateeberlywalker.com. Of course, you can find your book anywhere where you get books. And we'll be right back with our cool picks of the week after this. Kristen, I'm popping in just for this. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so excited about it. (laughs) Welcome, Liz. (laughs) Not that I'm not excited about Kate. I love Kate. But I'm psyched that we're talking about EcoFreaks, our new sponsor, because first of all, isn't that the best name, EcoFreaks? It is pretty much the best name. And I know, like, you've got kids going back to school. There's lots of kids going back to school. I'm so excited. And like, yes, yes, they have the hand sanitizer with them. It's like a mandatory, like, do you have your books? Do you have your lunch? Do you have a snack? Do you have your hand sanitizer? Very important. And EcoFreaks makes really cool, cute hand sanitizers for kids. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love these. So they have like a little chain so you can attach them to the backpack and they have three freaky scents because I don't know about your kids, Liz, my kids... I think because we have clearly upped our hand sanitizer usage <laughs> over the last year and a half, they are very particular about the scent. Yes, we like, just it, had a conversation about this because I tried to buy kind of like a big brand hand sanitizer and they're like, mom, you got to get the one with the scents. And then I saw Eco Freaks and I thought, oh, actually, that's perfect. They're a sponsor and I'm about to go buy them. (laughs) They're perfect for us. They're really cute. Like they're cute, like little monsters. They're cool looking. I think they're very well designed. Yes. And they contain 80% alcohol, which is actually 25% more than the FDA recommends. So, you know, a little extra germ fighting power for everybody in the family. And if you get the multi-scent family pack, it's got a variety of the scents and sizes for for everybody on your list. My kids aren't going back just yet, but I know for families who have little kids up through like tweens and teens, like they've got you covered. Or hello, even if you're not going back to school, like just going out in the world these days requires yes. hand sanitizer. Like I'm never leaving home without it again. So I'm glad that there's one made just for kids. It's really cool. Yeah, and I really, really love they have those, they're called the Zeke keychain mm-hmm. because I find that like trying to dig through my bag and I switch bags a fair amount. So like this, you can just like pop on a couple bags. You've always got it there. And if you go to EcoFreaksUSA.com and you add the multi-cent family pack and the Zeke keychain to your cart and then enter the promo code COOLMOM, you will actually get that Zeke keychain for free. Yay! And there's free shipping on every order. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's really cool. So again, it's Eco Freaks, just like it sounds. Eco, E-C-O, Freaks, F-R-E-A-K-S, 
ecofreaksusa.com. Enter cool mom, one word, and you're going to get that keychain for free and free shipping on every order. They're really cute. They're really smart. And I got to say, Kristen, you know, these days having a little hand sanitizer hanging on the outside of your backpacker bag, it's kind of like the new status symbol. It says, hey, I care about you and I care about me. You know, it's our favorite time of the show. It's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. <laughs> Yay. Yay. And Kate, you're our guest. So you get to go first. I get to go first. Okay. Yeah. All right. I put a lot of thought into this. So my pick of the week is something to buy. It's called the Olbas Inhaler. It's O-L-B-A-S. It's a drugstore purchase. You know, it's like six, seven bucks. And it's this, you know, aromatherapy stick that you breathe in and it has, you know, menthol and eucalyptus. It has all, all of these strong, beautiful aromas that like really seriously clear out your passages, your nasal passages. And I'm a big believer in all things breathing related. You know, I do yoga every morning and I take a deep breath when I need to regroup and tell my kids to do Mm -hmm. that as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm also a big fan of sinus rinses and all of all, you know, anything that clears the nasal passages, I think is important for physical and mental health. And this inhaler, which my sister got one and gave it to me and it has changed my life is um, just, you know, this amazing affordable keep one in your purse, keep one in your pocket, and you just breathe in when you need to clear out. And it's one of my favorite things now. Well, I love that it has a name because it's so funny. I actually have these. You do? I love these. It sounds weird to say I grew up on them, (laughs) but I used to fly a lot as a kid. I lived in South Africa and we had these long flights. And I remember my mom would give them to me to clear my ears. Oh, yeah. And so I saw them at the store and I was like, like I had this nostalgia and I got them and my kids actually really like them too. There's something about it, it's great too. Like if you're just feeling a little stuffy, like it's the season, right? Mm-hmm. It's allergy season. So this is actually a really timely cool pick of the week, Kate. But they're great because it's like, I don't necessarily need medicine. I just need something to clear my sinuses. But I love your note about just like breathing in general, how it can actually be a visual cue, right? If you're a little tense, a little stressed out, grab this little inhaler and like take a breath. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So yay. Awesome, cool pick of the week. So mine is a book I just finished reading. It's called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. It is amazing. And as a a biracial Asian woman and with everything that's going on in the news, being an Asian in America is on the forefront of so many of my, you know, friends and colleagues who are Asian, biracial, multiracial. And this book, it's written like a screenplay. It's just no wonder that it won so many awards. It's fascinating. It's enlightening. It's funny. It's heart-wrenching. You know, I don't want to spoiler alert, but the end is just super impactful. So I just wanted to share that with folks. If you're looking for something to add to your nightstand, it's a quick read. It's wonderful. It's called Interior Chinatown. So highly, highly recommend oh, that. That sounds good. I already had that on my list. I'm going to yes. bump it to the top. Of yes, the bump it up. Bump it up, Kate. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Spawned. Thanks so much to our producer, John Bowen. Hey, listen, there are a few things that you can do to help us spread the word about Spawned. You've probably heard them um, a thousand times or so, depending on how long you've been listening to Spawn, but we're here to remind you. It only takes a second and it can go a super long way in, you know, just helping other folks find our humble podcast. So the first thing you can do 
is subscribe. Make sure you do that because then you'll never miss an episode. And there have been a lot of really good episodes lately. You can also download our episodes, which means they're on your phone and you can listen to them anytime, anywhere. You don't need Wi-Fi. You don't need any of that stuff. And the last thing you can do is tell your friends, your family, or hey, even your social media followers about our podcast. There is a handy little feature right in Apple Podcasts that lets you text one of the episodes. So if you found maybe this one or some of our past episodes that really resonated, maybe you know someone who needs our help, you can send this episode or any of our past ones their way. And of course, when you leave us a five-star review, when you say hi and tell us that you're loving Spawned, it really, really helps. And of course, more importantly, it makes us feel awesome. And man, we could all use some of that these days. Don't forget, we have another podcast. It's called OutTech Your Kids. And in 15 minutes or less, we help you answer some of the hardest digital parenting questions. And we also have a bunch of really fun Facebook groups, just in case you're not a member yet. We have our Spawned podcast community. We have our OutTech Your Kids tech parenting community and we have recipe rescue which you may not know about we don't have a podcast for that yet but it's a really fun group just a bunch of home cooks like us trying to make it through another day of cooking for our kids anyway liz will be back for our next episode thanks again for listening and for joining us this is Kristen. i hope you have a great day bye